stages. And Matan? Bina, again? Different or separate? Krishna talks about the separate energies. He uses the word Bina. Then Dharmasya. Dharma means? Religion. Asya? Religion. Tattvam? Truth. The truth of religion. What's Guya? Secret. Mahajana. What is a jana? People. Mahajana. Gataha. Goal. A path to get to achieve an achievement, a goal. Pantaha. A path. So here, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and this Brahmin were discussing what was the right course of action. So how do we decide what is the right course of action? And this verse is very significant. We'll go through the synonyms again. Tarkaha. Dry argument. Apatistaha. Not fixed. Shutayaha. Vedas. Vivinaha. Possessing different departments. Na. Not. Asal. That. Rishihi. Great sage. Yasya. Whose. Matam. Opinion. Na. Not. Vina. Separate. Dharmasya. Of religious principles. Tatvam. Truth. Nihitam. Placed. Ruhayam. In the heart of a realized person. Mahajanaha. Self-realized predecessors. Yena, by which way? Gattaha, acted. Saha, that. Pantaha, the pure unadulterated path. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu continued, Dry arguments are inconclusive. A great personality whose opinion does not differ from others is not considered a great sage. Simply by studying the Vedas, which are variegated, one cannot come to the right path by which religious principles are understood. The solid truth of religious principles is hidden in the heart of an unadulterated, self-realized person. Consequently, as the Shastras confirm, one should accept whatever progressive path the Mahajanas advocate. Purport, this is a verse spoken by Yusuke Maharaj in the Mahabharata, Mana Parva, 313.17. So Tato Brahma Jignasa, we're supposed to ask what is the truth? Have the word here, truth, tatvam. Not just dharmasya. Truth. What is actually the truth? And anything you want to achieve, you have to know what is the truth. If I even want to take a plane from Brussels to London, I have to know the truth of the globe. I have to know the truth of the map. I have to know what plane is going to I have to know factual information. It's very difficult to move without knowing the truth. But generally, of course, we rely on our senses to tell us the truth. Is the door open or closed? If it's closed, then I have to open it, otherwise I'll bang my head. What are the facts? And when we talk about absolute truth, people often think in terms of some objective truth upon which everyone can agree. Just like we can all agree that the door is open. And among the empiricists, they debate, is there really a door, and is the door really open? <laughs> and although that may sound silly, it's not entirely silly. Because they're saying, is there an objective reality outside of our senses? Or is reality only a perception of the mind? Even if it's a shared reality, it can still be only a perception of the mind. It's actually quite a reasonable question. Just like if many, many people are playing the same computer game, they're all perceiving the same reality, aren't they? But is what they're perceiving actually what it is? 
Is, is there perception of reality and reality is it? They're having a, a shared experience of reality. Everyone who's playing the game will say, yes, you know, this character got in an airplane. Is that actually happening? Is there a character getting in an airplane? No. No. What's actually happening? There's some light on the screen. There's some light on the screen. So you could say, there's lights on the screen, three different colored lights combining to create a picture of somebody on an airplane. Or what else could you say it is? But what is it? It's something. It's a collection of zeros and ones. It's a collection of zeros and ones. Okay. It's electricity. It's electricity, it's a connection of zeros and ones, it's lights on the screen. So it is those things, but it's not somebody on an airplane. But the people who are playing the game are perceiving that it's somebody on an airplane. Right? And their emotional experience is as if there was actually somebody on there. Right? <laughs> like, you know, a group of people in the theater watching a movie. They're having a shared experience. And again, it's lights on the screen. Or you could say it's people at another time and place who are actors. You could say that it's protons, neutrons, and electrons. There's so many ways you could describe it. But people's emotional reactions, people are feeling pain or pleasure according to what is happening on the screen, aren't they? Don't people even have physical reactions? Isn't it? People watching a movie or playing a computer game? Aren't there even physiological changes in their body according to their perception? Isn't that a fact? Or a dream. Shastra often compares this world to a dream. So, do you get physiological changes according to what you do? Sometimes. Yeah. You ever see a dog running in their sleep? You ever seen that? Dogs are sleeping and their legs are going, the little babies are sucking in their sleep. So, there's a, there's a physiological reaction. Even though, what's, what's that? what is a dream actually? It's just electric impulses in the brain. Electricity. You're not really, you know, whatever you think you are in Australia or eating a feast or something like that. So therefore people debate what is reality. Just the fact that we all share, more or less, not entirely, we don't have an entirely shared experience. At the end of this class, if I asked each of you, you know, what was the class about, I wouldn't get exactly the same answer or, you know, what happened. I just recently had an email from somebody telling me that so-and-so was upset with me about a conversation I had with her a year ago. And my understanding of the conversation and this other woman's understanding of the conversation are radically different. Right? We, we, we had the same conversation. We were in the same room. And yet, what I remember saying and what she remembers saying are not the same. We all have this experience. So it's not an entirely shared reality. It's still somewhat of an individual reality. But we have a reasonably shared reality. And we have physiological reactions and emotional reactions. But that doesn't necessarily mean that what we're all experiencing and how we're interpreting it exists as an objective reality outside of our perception of it. It could be something quite different than what we think it is. Couldn't it? And how would we know? How do we know? We can't know. If all we have is our perception, and if the people around us are having more or less the same perception, of course there are some people who are having radically different perceptions, and we generally call them mentally ill. <laughs> Maybe they're having the real perceptions, and the so-called normal people are the ones. I mean, how do we? We don't really know, do we? Because their perception of reality is, is extremely different. Then the majority of people were saying, okay, well, the majority is what we'll go with. But you know, if you don't know what truth is, how do you act? How do you make decisions? How do you have actions? How do you decide on how you're going to think or how you're going to act if you don't know what reality is? 
How are you going to make intelligent decisions? Just like some friends of mine are expecting their first baby, and we were talking about where to have a baby, what kind of person to see. And the first thing I noticed is these people didn't know anything. They didn't know anything about the process of, of birth. And I said, it's kind of hard to make decisions if you don't have any facts. We talk about this in management science, that power in an organization comes, first of all, from information. There's information, then you make choices, you get advice, then you decide on the course of action, then you execute the action, but it all starts with information. Just think about military. If you don't know where your enemy is, and Prabhupada talks about this, he said you should always consider what's the other side. Don't just think about your arguments. Pick the strong arguments from the other side also. Examine them. Krishna does that in the Bhagavad Gita. He says, some people say, you know, the soul never existed. Some people say this. He's dealing with the opposing arguments. If you don't know where your enemy is, you don't have the right information. If you don't know what reality is, you lose the battle. My favorite story of this is the battle at Midway in World War II. So the, the Japanese were winning in the Pacific. They were conquering island after island after island after island. They were just advancing and advancing and advancing and advancing. And then they thought, okay, we're going to knock out the Americans, uh, the, the ships, the planes take off them? Yeah. Aircraft carriers. They said, we're going to knock out all the American aircraft carriers, and then that's going to be it, because the war was being fought primarily from aircraft carriers. What aircraft carriers? They're big boats with a flat top that airplanes can take off from, because in those days, the planes didn't, didn't have as much range as they had today, so they had to take out the ships. So the Japanese made this whole plan, how they were going to lure all of the American fleet up to Alaska, and then they were going to attack Midway, and the Americans would come there and they'd ambush them, and they had all planned out. And one of the Japanese generals said, suppose we lose the secrecy, suppose the secrecy of this plan is broken. And they said, we're not even going to consider that. Just don't even think about it. Don't even allow for it. And of course, the code was broken. The Japanese secret code was broken. So the Americans knew what the whole Japanese plan was. So instead of the Japanese ambushing the Americans, the Americans ambushed the Japanese. And instead of the Americans fleet being destroyed, the Japanese fleet was destroyed. And then they went on a defensive battle. So what was interesting there is the Japanese didn't know where their enemies were. They didn't know the truth, so they couldn't make proper decisions. Like first they armed all of their planes with bombs for bombing the island. And then one of their spies planes came back and says, there's an American aircraft carrier out there. Somebody there's an American aircraft. There's not supposed to be any American aircraft carriers out there. What are we doing here? And the guy says, quick, change your bombs. They took off all the land bombs and they put on all the airplane on a ship bombs. But they were really rushing. And they didn't have time to take the land bombs and store them. So guess where they were sitting? Ah. Right on the ship. Yeah, right on the top of the ship. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's, that's why they lost the war. Because it was that battle that made them lose the war. And it was, the reason they lost that battle was they never allowed for the idea to enter their minds that their secret might have been broken. Therefore, they didn't know where their enemy was before they lost. And this is, of course, we in life would like to know what's the future. Why do people go to astrologers or read tarot? They want to know, what is the future? Why do we even check the weather reports? We want to understand how everything works, why do people go to school? If I can somehow get knowledge, if I can understand truth, then I'm going to make decisions that are going to lead to happiness in my life. I'm not going to be ambushed by an enemy that I don't know is there. Then I'll always win if I know the truth. That's the idea. So how do you find out the truth? How do you do that? How do you know what's objective reality? Now, it's, it's quite interesting because we can ask whether or not there really is an absolutely objective reality upon which everybody would agree. Is there such a thing? So, if there is an objective reality, what personality is in knowledge of that? Absolutely objective, bias free 
perspective-free, absolutely always just factual, neutral truth. Who would we say knows that? The creator of reality, yes. In what manifestation does the creator of the reality know objective, just facts, neutral truth? The super soul. So Krishna, a super soul is just neutral. And it's interesting that we say that super soul is not, he's a person, but he's not fully manifesting the attributes of a person. And it's just neutral. He doesn't interfere. He's the witness. He's the friend. But he doesn't interfere. He's simply giving. He's just reciprocating. And he's saying objective truth. And of course, those who want to meditate on the super soul can also enter into this realm of knowledge. What about Krishna, Bhagavan? Is he absorbing objective truth? without any personal slant on it. Is that his absorption? Yes and no. Yes and no. <laughs> so I ask this question sometimes. What's the truth? Is Nanda Maharaj Krishna's father or Krishna's son? That's true. Can't answer that question. That's true. Just like Lily Soda when she sees the universe inside Krishna's mouth. She says, I'm imagining that Nandi Maharaj is my husband and Krishna is my son. But actually, Nandi Maharaj is her husband. And he really is her husband. You could say that that's ultimate truth. And the different self-realized souls, the different yeah, great personalities beyond the relation, they don't always see the truth the same way. Radharani says, I don't want to hear about Chandravali because when Krishna misbehaves, she just tolerates it. And Chandravali says, I don't want to hear about Radharani because when Krishna apologizes, she doesn't accept it. <laughs> they each say, oh, the other one doesn't really love Krishna. <laughs> and Lady Soda sees the dirt on Krishna's body in the morning, and she thinks he didn't get a very good bath. And the other girl gives me the thing now. Krishna was you know, out running in the forest, and he thought he was sleeping. So they have different perspectives, even on the truth, isn't it? They're perceiving the truth differently. Or the coward boys, they're thinking, you know, we can be Krishna. We can wrestle with Krishna and be Krishna. What's the problem? They're not thinking that Krishna is the Supreme Lord. So we find that in order, one really nice example is we had Bhagavatamita where Gopal Kumar is in Vaikuntha and he starts calling Lord Vishnu Gopal and some of the residents of Vaikuntha say, you can't do that. You know, we know he sometimes appears as a cowboy for his pastimes, but you know, don't talk to him like that here. And then some of them say, well, because he does sometimes appear as a cowboy, it's appropriate to call him by that. You can call him by any of his names. So they win and he gets to call Lord Vishnu Gopal. But the residents of Vaikuntha think that Narayana is supreme. They think Krishna is a sometimes manifestation of Narayana. And we find that when Narayana and when they're talking about Goloka Vrindavan and Vaikuntha, they go off to the side and they say, don't let anybody hear what we're talking about. Yeah. Even in Dwarka, they are talking secretly on the side. That's not their mood. So there's some subjectivity even on that level. And here we're talking about the differences. Okay, so I want to find out what the truth is so I can act properly. Alright, so I can try argument and logic. Alright, I'll try my sense perception, what I see, there's a door, but then I'm, if I use logic, then I'm not sure, is it really a door? If I'm just perceiving it as a door? Does it exist at all? Or is it something else? The temporary looks like a door? What is it? I don't know. I don't reach a conclusion. So I'm preparing for the society course, this kind of society. And the first thing it says in the sociology book is you will never know truth through sociology. They have like 20 pages devoted to the fact that sociology will not teach you anything approaching the truth at all. And they said, well, why bother studying it then? 
I thought that's an awful good question. <laughs> I said, because you know better than we knew before. You know something is better. How do you know it's better? You know, when you, when you play that game where somebody hides something and then someone else is looking for it, and then they get further away, you say, go over, go over, go over. When you get closer, you say, hi, hi, hi. Who is the person saying, hi, hi, go over, go How do you know it's better? You come up with a new theory, a new observation, and where's the voice in the sky going higher, higher, higher? Well, maybe you're getting further away, and therefore, you know, you do something and then you discard it. In the structure of scientific revolutions, Kuhn makes the point that it's not that scientific theories are getting closer and closer and closer to the truth. And any of you who are interested in such things about empirical reasoning, I strongly suggest you read Kuhn's book with some notes and some guidance. It's a tough book to understand. K-U-H-N, Structure of Scientific Revolution. How the scientists don't really get closer to the truth. They just keep switching their paradigm. They get one paradigm, and it explains a certain percentage of reality, and then there's all these things that it can't explain. And they keep thinking, well, it'll work, it'll work, it'll work. And finally, the anomalies get so great, they get a completely different paradigm that explains a different part of reality. But that paradigm also has anomalies. And they, you know, and they keep switching paradigms. So they're not, one is not better than the other. They're just getting different perspectives, each of which are seeing a part of the truth, like the blind man and the elephant. You know that poem of the blind man and the elephant? You know, the, one of them is here, you know, touching the ear, he says an elephant is like a fan, and one of them is touching the tail, he says an elephant is like a rope, one of them is touching the leg, the elephant is like a pillar, one of them is touching the side, an elephant is like a wall. So they're just switching their perspectives, but none of them are closer to the truth than any of the other ones. So if the predominating theories are elephants are like walls, and everybody believes that, and then somebody, you know, I keep running to this rope thing. Oh, it's just part of the wall, it's just part of the wall, it's just part of the wall. After all, it's really just not part of the wall. And then you switch, oh, elephants are like ropes. That becomes new. So just sense perception and logic is not going to be enough. If you're in the computer game and you're absorbed in the computer game and you think the computer game is all of reality, how are you going to understand it? And when you're dreaming, how can you understand dreams? If people study dreams, what do they do? Do they go to sleep? Some people study sleep. Sleep researchers, how do they study sleep? Do they go to sleep? No. <laughs> what do they do? They stay awake, and they study other people who are sleeping. You can only study dreams when you're awake. You can only really understand what a computer game is when you're not playing it, or what a movie is when you're not absorbed in it. As soon as you're absorbed in it, you can't understand it anymore. You think it's something else. And so just sense perception and logic, because they're in the realm of the movie, the computer game, the sleep, they can't give you a, a, another view. Okay, well, let's go to the scriptures. The scriptures are the breathing of Lord Narayana, and he said the creator of everything ought to know what the truth is, so we can find the truth in the scriptures. Well, that's true. We can find the truth in the scriptures. What's the problem with the scriptures? That's the problem with the scriptures. They're different. The sociology book was also saying that beginning students of sociology tend to think that it's some sort of monolithic science with clear conclusions. And as you progress, you see more and more and more that that's not the case. So also, when you first join the Hare Krishna movement, you may think, okay, all the scriptures just say essentially the same thing, and it's very clear. And the more you study them, the more you see it's not true. There are a few things like that. But in many cases, one thing is said here, another thing is said here. Sometimes, apparently, opposite things, and very different instructions for very different people, very different circumstances. <clears throat> so how are you going to know what to apply? How are you going to know what to follow? Just confusing. There's a lot in the scriptures you can't really understand. How do you understand it? What's applicable now? What's not applicable now? But even in an ordinary government, 
You have someone who explains the laws and applies the laws. They have the judges who tell you how to apply the laws. Say, all right, well, let's go to the rishis. Let's go to sages. Let's go to scholars. No. Uh, scholars, ordinary scholars, they're interested in their own ego. So they each want to present a new opinion. If they present the same opinion as everybody else, then they have no <laughs> nobody will be interested in them. So they also like to present different opinions. How do you know? Or even you could say the great realized personalities also sometimes present different opinions. My prophet says there's agreement among the acharyas of the four sampradayas, but not in everything. And we were, a group of us were analyzing the Dasmula Tattva of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, which I understand to be the things that you can say, these are absolute objective truths. But not all of the acharyas, all of the sampradayas agree with all those points. But the ten points, I think there's some acharyas we have only eight out of ten in agreement. And in that analysis with me. But you can look at the Dasmula Tattva and see of the four sampradayas whether or not everyone agrees on all points. And there's a few areas of disagreement. So maybe there's like eight points in which all the sampradayas agree. But then let's say you go beyond the Vedic sampradayas. This brother talks about how Christianity and some etc. are also teaching love of God. Then you really start having disagreements. You start looking, I mean, there's, you start looking to the Bible and the Quran and you try to find where there's, there's certainly areas of agreement but there's a lot of areas of disagreement. And certainly there's a lot of confusion. How do you interpret the scriptures? So how is that going to help us? And that's true even at the level of liberated souls. I mean, even the Loka Vrindavan, as I said, Chandravali and Vardhamani have a different idea of how to make Krishna happy. The opposite idea. I'll make Krishna happy by being angry with him. I'll make, be, make Krishna happy by never being angry with him. And the Sildhan and Gopis have a different idea. And the residents of Vrindavan and Vaikunda have a different idea. But even on that sort of platform, the Acharyas, obviously the Acharyas, differ on different points. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? So here it says, Mahajana Yenigatasa. Look at the Mahajanas, the great personalities, those who have achieved super consciousness, those who have become enlightened, those who have become awakened. I was just hearing today about Vithyanathasarasvati, who was commenting on the first verse of the Srikshastra and talking about the awakened soul. Now, if we want to know what the truth is, then we have to be awake. We have to be in a state where we can see it. This guhaya, it's hidden. Raja vidyam, raja guhyam. Krishna also uses this word. The truth is hidden. And he says, prachakshavamanya. You have to experience it. So first we were denigrating prachaksha, but actually there is, ultimately everything is prachaksha. Everything is experience. How do you know that the scriptures are true? Because you follow them and they work. You have the practical experience. So you see, how do the great souls, how do they apply the scriptures? How do they apply the instructions of the rishis? And you take a shelter, not just from a distance, but you actually take shelter of a spiritual master, or spiritual masters, that would be fine. As plural. plural. And you take shelter of masters. And they'll guide you. They'll guide you individually. They'll be able to say, okay, in your particular, this is a general, and this is a particular. And then you see how they live, how they apply the scriptures. Now, of course, how do you know who's an ajana? You can say, this just removes the problem one step, because how do I know? And for that, you look in the scriptures, which have a very consistent description of an enlightened being. Where do we find descriptions in the Shastra? 
Let's look at Bhagavad Gita, because Arjuna asked that question, how do I know who's in my view? Where do you find the answer? Second chapter, chapter and? Toward the end. Toward the end, that's good. Where specifically toward the end? Yes, yes, that's second chapter. Fifty fourth verse. Fifty fourth verse. Of the second chapter. Yes. And what other? She said, "You mean where did they begin?" Yeah, that's in the second chapter. Krishna answers that in the second chapter. Then there's another place where Arjuna says, "What are the symptoms of one who's transcended the modes of general nature?" Fourteenth chapter, which is called the modes of general. And then in 1422, Krishna gives a description of one who is transcendent in the modes of material nature. He also gives a description without Arjuna's asking. Where? 16. Divine and demoniac nature, and where else? 12th hmm? chapter, the end of the 12th chapter. And then there's some verses here and there, like Satsang Kirtan and Jimmy. Yes. So there's, there's individual verses here and there. And there's also descriptions, of course, of the Bhagavatam. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu describes to Sanatana Goswami what are the symptoms of the Sami, gives the nine symptoms in Bhagavatam. So there are these, and these descriptions are very consistent, by the way. Rupa Goswami is also giving descriptions of what is the enlightenment. You, you will not find inconsistency in these descriptions. And what's interesting is you will even find consistency in these descriptions outside the Vedic scriptures. You know, even within the Bible, the fruits of the Spirit are, and you'll see a list of the kind of qualities that you look for in actually a Mahajana. So this you will not find, this is not an area where there is disagreement, although there's certainly levels and kinds of Mahajanas. So one has to take some guide. But you see how the scripture and the, the guru is working together? You can't understand who's a guru without reference to the scripture, and you can't apply the scripture without guru. You can say, well, but this seems like it's faith. Okay, fine. But it's also faith that there's a wall there and that the wall is actually a wall. You say, well, I bang my head and I experience it. How do you know that that's, that what, on what level that experience is happening? Now, there are people in the world who, through meditation, can bang their head against the wall and not feel any pain and not get any blues. Right? You've all heard about such people. They can stick a big needle in their arm and it doesn't draw any blood and they don't feel any pain. Yeah? Have you heard about such people? Have you all heard about such people? Yeah, I hope so. put swords in their body, yeah, they have no pain, no damage, no blood. There are people who can do that through meditation. If you don't know that, you ought to know that. <laughs> List of the shots from the different mystic powers. So, we have some faith. If I put a sword in my body, I'm going to get injured. Is that absolutely true? Or is that, is that how we're interacting with reality? So how can you say, well, I have to have some faith in the scriptures and the Mahajans, and without that, I don't have to have any faith. No, it's all faith. And what are you going to base your faith on? Ultimately, your own experience. There can be, you know, intellectual conviction, but it comes down to a higher level of projection and unknowing. But you actually realize the things that are being taught to you and you start to actually see the truth. Therefore, one of the main symptoms of advancement in spiritual life is detachment from matter because you see, as Prabhupada says, the naked form of material desires. You see it for what it is. You start saying, that's not an enjoyable object. It's just the play of the modes of nature. Like tree lights. It's just protons, neutrons, and electrons. It's not, it's not actually an enjoyable object for me. And I'm not a material being. You start to experience that. And even a beginner starts to experience that on some level. Even a real beginner. Ravinda Sukhavu talked about how he started chanting Hare Krishna. And he didn't know what he was chanting or why he was chanting or anything about it. And he started becoming detached 
quick material things. And he stopped chanting because he thought, I don't want to play with <laughs> We find people do that. It's, it's not uncommon that somebody starts chanting and coming to the temple and finding that they get detached and say, well, I don't want to do that. I want to be attached to the world. And conversely, if we're not actually having genuine experience, and Prabhupada says, just like if you're eating and you're not getting nourished, either you're not really eating or there's parasites in your belly. <laughs> you're just chewing gum instead of eating. So if someone says, I'm in a genuine spiritual process and they're not getting some direct experience, then either they're not in a genuine spiritual process or they're doing something to counteract or committing some offenses, like stealing away their ability to progress. Now, when we follow the Mahajanas and we start to see the truth, we will hear against Tattva, what was hidden, who I am, becomes revealed to us from within our heart. I'm going to ask this question now. Will we all see exactly the same truth? we're all following a genuine process, we all start to get realization. We all start to go beyond the dream. We start to wake up. We start to see reality for what it is. Are we all going to see exactly the same thing? What does Lord Kapiladeh say? He says, the Lord takes the whatever form you worship him. The material subjectivity that I remember my conversation with this lady a year ago, radically different from the way she remembers it, that we don't like because it causes tension and discord and bad feelings and fear among us, right? I'm afraid that because her memory of the conversation is different from mine, and mine, of course, is positive for me, and hers is negative for me. So I'm afraid. I'm afraid my relationship will get damaged and so many things. So therefore, I'm thinking, let's get rid of all this subjectivity. Let's get rid of individuality. Let's have an absolute truth that we all see exactly the same. Then we'll all be in agreement. And then there won't be any discord. Yeah, but there won't be any fun either. <laughs> so one who wants that, that's also available. You can merge into the Brahman, and then you'll all just see the same truth, and everybody will be in forever. There will only be Brahman. But Dharmaland is above Brahman. So we should not think that the individual views of truth as seen by those who are relating with Bhagavan are a source of discord like they are in this world. Because they're above the platform of harmony. They're above the platform of oneness. That's why they're included so the differences simply add delight rather than discord. But expect there to be differences. Expect there to be differences. I once saw an email from one devotee email to, you know, when they mail to 40 people, you know how that goes? On some subject with lots of all capital letters, and some of them were, that is Krishna's opinion. And I thought, is it Krishna's opinion or is it your understanding? How are you so sure it's Krishna's opinion? We say we have imperfect senses, right? We say that again. Is that so possible? Okay. We have imperfect senses and there can be illusion. We say this? Is this right? And that we have a cheating propensity, which means we tend to cheat ourselves also. We make mistakes. So somehow we tend to think, at a condition level, that this applies to all the other people and not to me. Because now I'm a devotee and I'm reading the scripture and therefore I understand everything. So until we're a liberated platform, we're still understanding the scripture and the mahajans through our material conditioning. Therefore, we shouldn't take our interpretation and our view of everything so terribly seriously. And be absolutely convinced that we're absolutely right all of the time. And it's everybody else who has imperfect senses. It's kind of funny. Some will say, okay, yeah, I'm not a pure devotee. But my understanding of the scripture is absolutely right. Interesting. Mm -hmm. 
we should understand that even when one becomes awakened, that there will be different views. Prabhupada said we should understand the verses from many angles of the Gita. So there's there's a There's a limit, obviously, as to understandings. But within that uh, limit, there's, in one sense, unlimited personal understanding. So you can say there's certain things on which everybody would agree. There is an absolute truth. The absolute truth is personal. There are living entities. There's material energy. But other things, there will be individual realizations. And like when the Cherry Shi wrote to Prabhupada, he said, I think the disagreements are due to impersonalism. Prabhupada said, no, they're due to personalism. <laughs> because we're persons, we're going to have differences of opinions. So this is sometimes very scary in an organization. How do you have an organization that has a common goal, and that has a common philosophy, and a common way of life, and yet is a very highly individualistic philosophy? Robert therefore said the GBC every year should discuss unity and diversity. How do we have unity? And yet, we're, we're preaching a very, very individualistic philosophy. We're saying that we're the only ones of us ever to exist, and that we have our own unique perspective. So, if we want to know the truth, we can't rely just on material, logic, and sense perception. We can't just go to the scriptures on our own because we'll be confused about what to apply and how to apply them, what scriptures we can follow. If we just look at the scholars who have different opinions, we'll also be confused. Therefore, we have to follow those who are actually enlightened. And we understand the symptoms of enlightenment through the scriptures. And by following those who are enlightened, we should also start to become enlightened. We should start to experience it for ourselves. And yes, it takes some initial faith, but everything has some faith. No, you can't get away from that. You can't say, first I'm going to know everything and then I'm going to know everything. How do you do that? Yeah, it's impossible. So one does that, one has a little bit of faith, one tries a bit, one has some experience, and then from that one tries further. Okay, thank you very much. Yes, please. Before you have other questions, <laughs> I asked them I have two questions which are burning questions in my mind. I see the fire in the Yeah. <laughs> so, so now, on the other hand, time's up, and I'm sure that there's also a question. So, what do we do? So, what do we do? I don't know. Yeah, I've already gone over time. <laughs> Probably people's stomachs are more um, urgently demanding satisfaction than anything else. So, you're in charge. You what, tell what? me. What do I do? Okay, let's see how far we get. Well, we can go for like five, maybe five minutes, but if people want to go and eat, that's how we can. Yes? So my first question is, how do we say who is Mahajan? You mentioned these descriptions in Bhagavad Gita in yes. different scriptures. So, but uh, on one side, I, I wonder whether different uh, philosophers uh, who have said different directions, like in personalism and religion, if they would fit to these descriptions, and if not, they certainly have other scriptures which which would describe, which would allow their, themselves to be qualified as Mahajan. Papa does say in the Bhagavatam, <coughs> I think it is, if it's in reference to Lord Rashabe, I'm pretty sure it's in the instructions of Lord Rashabe, if I may be wrong, that the transcendentalists are both the personalists and the But some of the descriptions in the Bible really would not fit for the impersonalists. Some of the descriptions. But we also impersonalists, genuine impersonalists, not modern people who, you know, go around engaging in sense gratification and just speaking in personalistic philosophy. I'm not talking about that. But actual impersonalists. First of all, it's hard to find real impersonalists. I think you're going to have a harder time finding real impersonalists than a real in the present age. There are some. I've met some. Well, when I talk about Mayavadi, you say Mayavadi, you know, that was probably rejected. And yeah, but the Mayavadi was actually offensive to Krishna, certainly wouldn't fit the Catholic descriptions. But they got their own scriptures, which one preached with the. Because, like, 
first answer that Krishna gave to Arjuna is Prajapati Arakama and all this stuff. So, so they would be like uh, also. Everybody in my body is converted to the Brahman, which is also transcendental. It is. It is also, you're, you're looking at the transcendental realm, you're looking at truth. So you could say that even, even my bodies, if they're actually persons, even the demons can enter into the Brahman. So you could say that they're also transcendentals. They are transcendentals. And if you follow them, you would achieve some degree of truth. Yes, you would. Would you, would you achieve a really satisfying view of truth? Obviously, you would. I don't think so. But would you? Yeah, you would. You know, you're talking about kinds and degrees. And then it's up to you to examine what do I want? You know, what goal, what 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 goal are they propounding? And we make more that. I mean I know at least one devotee, maybe more, who said, I, I think I want to become a merciless. Because of course money would never go off. He said, I, I don't like all the variety and the excitement and the adventure and the personality of Krishna's pastime. Said, I want to just merge with the Brahman. Okay. That's a, that's a personal choice. It, it, it genuinely is a personal choice. It really is. You know, except that you can't stay in the Brahman Joji forever. That's also good. Thank you very much. If you allow another one, I'm really sorry. I'm taking that time. Well, if anyone wants to leave, they can leave. You don't have to feel shy. The other one is about Bhagavan. He was saying, quoting uh, Kapila Dev, that uh, he reveals himself according to the desire, to of, the desire of the worship. So now, how do you actually say that? Because at the same time, we, we kind of insist that Krishna is the original Supreme Personality of the Supreme Personality. How do you say that? You know, because somebody else sees him in a different way and they will do him like that. There's this argument, oh, is it Allah, Buddha, this, Mother, Father, so how, how do you do this? And does yeah. it really matter? Does it really matter? No. <laughs> Doesn't. Just like we can say that the Madhurya Ras is the highest, but if that's not your Ras, it's not the highest for you. You may know it's the highest. You may say, you know, yes, yes, just like Maragupta. He said, yes, yes, I know Krishna is more intimate form, but it's just, I don't want to worship Krishna. I don't want to worship Ramachandra. For me, Ramachandra is the highest. I'm not interested. There is a highest for you. There is a highest for the individual. You know, so we, we can say, according to Shastra, Krishna is the highest. But if somebody really wants to worship Krishna in another form, then that's the perfection for them. Okay. Bhagavatam and the conclusion is devotional service to Krishna Prem. Yes. 
that. But if, for example, if some other spiritual teacher was able to say, the conclusion is Brahman. And that's why we accept that Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam is the important point. Krishna is Bhagavan Swayam. Because the Charis told us if you would just took the, the, the scripture, we, we wouldn't understand by ourselves. Yes. But because we get the proper instruction. And we know it's Shastra and we know how to interpret it. Okay. So yes. also so. It's, it's connected to, to Prabhu's question that how to know which one, which type of uh, person is really the highest Mahatma. To some extent, that depends on what you want. And it's also. That depends on what you want. You know, you can talk about logic and logically that a person with activities and interaction is going to be a deeper and higher level of bliss and understanding than someone that's not personal. Because Krishna is both personal and impersonal. And then you can get direct experience. You can get direct experience of the impersonal and direct experience of the personal and see what's higher. I mean, so many examples in the scripture of people who have grown and realized and saw Krishna and said, wow, Krishna is high. But there are going to be individuals who want to, who are attracted to the Brahman. Aren't there? Aren't there individuals who are going to want the Brahman? Not very much. Are there? Are there going to be individuals who want the Brahman? Not in the Krishna? Yes. Yes! Is that allowed? Does Krishna allow it? Or does he say, no, nobody can merge into the Brahman? Yeah, but it doesn't reach absolute truth. Because the absolute it's truth. not the absolute truth? No, it's not. Bhagavatam says it's the absolute truth. Absolute truth is Brahman. Bhagavatam says the absolute truth is understood with three features. Brahmati, Paramati, Bhagavati, Sabhajay. Sorry. It is the absolute truth. Brahman is the absolute truth. So is Brahman the absolute truth. So is Vishnu the absolute truth. Understood from different perspectives. Understood in different ways. What is the absolute truth? Personally, I'd rather worship Krishna. That's why I'm here. And that's why I'm not following any personalist guru, because I don't want to be any personalist. So, of course, if I'm here, I think it's better to be personalist. It's something you really should look at. Do I really want to be personalist? Of course it is. You should ask yourself, do I really want to be personalist? Do I like the idea of individuality? Is that what I want? Sometimes we just want everything to be boring and be peaceful. And that's just that.
digestive. Okay, thank you very much.